Before we get into today's episode, I just wanted to let you know that I am looking for 50 people with Hashimoto's. If you have been diagnosed in the last 10 years and you feel lost or confused about exactly what to do, then I want to invite you to join me for a free training call on Thursday, May 16th at 8.30 p.m. Eastern, where I will show you how to support your thyroid for your thyroid type and your specific Hashimoto's triggers. You will also find out how to lower your thyroid antibodies and how to get to the bottom of all of your thyroid symptoms, the weight gain, the fatigue, the brain fog, the inflammation, the hair loss. Please go to inatoppler.com slash Zoom call to register, and I will send you all of the call details. I only have room for 50 people, so please be sure that you register at inatoppler.com slash Zoom call and get your spot right now. Meet Joanna. In the last year or so, she is dealing with so much fatigue. No matter what she does, she's constantly tired. And on top of that, she feels like she's on the verge of getting sick all the time. Joanna really loves to read and learn, and she's also a fan of the show. So after listening to several episodes about fatigue and its relationship to EBV, which is Epstein-Barr virus, she thought she was onto something and she felt like there's got to be a connection. So she went to her doctor, excited to discuss this possibility, and asked if she can get tested for EBV. When the results came back, though, the doctor said she didn't have it, and this wasn't her answer. She felt like she was back to square one, and that is actually when she saw me. After reviewing her history and all of her results, including those recent EBV results, I saw that her doctor didn't actually run everything. He did in fact order the EBV panel. However, over the last few years, LabCorp and some other labs have changed their panels where the EBV panel no longer included one important marker unless it was specifically selected by the doctor. I knew there can still be something here, so we needed to dig even further to solve her health mystery. Every year, thousands of people are told there's no explanation for their health concerns and no way to fix them. They feel frustrated, undermined, and lost. I know because that was me before I figured out the actual causes and reclaimed my health. Now, I help others do the same. I'm Ina Toppler, and this is Health Mystery Solved. Joining me on the show today is Dr. Kasha Kynes. I actually interviewed her twice back in episode four and episode 43. But EBV is such a big topic and there's just so much to talk about and there's always new information and new research. And so I wanted to bring her back. Now, for those that don't know Dr. Kasha, she is a doctor of clinical nutrition and the CEO of EBV Educational Institute and Holistic Nutrition Naturally. And she's the author of the Amazon bestseller, The Epstein-Barr Virus Solution. Dr. Kasha Kynes, so excited to be talking to you again. Welcome back. Well, I'm always excited to come back. You know, it's, it's important for your community as well. So I'm here to serve. So I'm excited to be back there. <laughs> well, thank you. Yes, it EBV, because it is a virus, obviously, 
a lot of the people in our community are people that have thyroid issues and Hashimoto's and a lot of other autoimmune diseases and viruses in general could be such a trigger for a lot of these autoimmune issues. And, you know, EBV is just so studied for that. And that's one of the things that you and I talked about on the previous shows. So it's actually the episode that we did, episode 43, is my highest downloaded episode uh, because people just, that information isn't as readily available and they, they want it. They want to know if there's an issue and how to find out. So for those that missed that episode, please go back and listen to episode 43 where we talk all about interpreting Epstein-Barr virus results. Now, Dr. Kasha, when we talk about EBV, just to make sure everyone's on the same page, can you tell us a little bit about why this virus is such a big trigger for autoimmune diseases and other chronic diseases and why there's this connection? Well, we don't know why. <laughs> it's just such an opportunist. I would say it's an opportunist. Some of my patients will say, those that have healed will say it was their biggest teacher because it just reflects lack of balance, physiological, you know, emotional, spiritual balance when things uh, become re- very vulnerable. And this is the vulnerability that the virus uses. And the, on the most physiological level, the vulnerability is when your nutritional status drops, uh, meaning you are deficient in nutrients. And that alone in medical research shows that the virus becomes more, they call it virulent, meaning aggressive. Starts right there, and then you add uh, external environmental insults, certain exposures, and we have research saying that that also reactivates this virus. So we have research on uh, stress hormones and big hormonal changes that also reactivates the virus. So it seems like if you live your life with your purpose, aligned with who you are, you speak your truth, you are heard and supported. You have love and, and a purpose in your life, basically. You take care of yourself. You know, you're, you're living from the heart. And then in that scenario, you take care of yourself spiritually, emotionally, physically. You eat better. You sleep better. And then that is not an environment in which the virus can thrive. That's kind of the big picture that we're seeing. Uh, I noticed that in our community, a lot of healers, a lot of very sensitive people, people that could have beautiful visions um, and service on this planet, that these often are the people that come to our community, they're hurting because, you know, they they forget or they lost that connection and they're they're hurting on so many levels. And so that's a, that's an odd thing that I'm seeing, but almost to the point where we joke about it in our community, you know, we're overgivers, overachievers, um, type A perfectionists, anonymous international club you know you have to have that forgiveness for yourself love for yourself to not do these things and to not try to be perfect but th- these are the the these are the patterns that open the door for the virus because it is an opportunist that's just basically what it is so that's why we even have that spiritual emotional component of healing in our program because that really is a deeper healing, and then you make it um, next to impossible for the virus to thrive. Yeah, what you're saying is so important, and I think what's important for people to understand that this is a virus that we're pretty much all exposed to, right, when we're very young, like 90-something percent, correct? 
Right, right, right. Yeah. So it's not that we can shield ourselves from this virus. It's already in our system and we've been exposed, whether we've had major symptoms or not. And this virus being, as you said, an opportunist, it can come up at any time. And oftentimes, especially when we look at more kind of medical terms, I guess, people think about nutrients and they think about stress and all of that. And they're very important. But some of these emotional connections are very important too. And like you said, being true to yourself and doing all of the things that feel good to you. It's interesting you mentioned also about some of the healers, because I think in that community, you know, people want to serve. But sometimes if you do that, but you then don't give any time to yourself, right? You work too much where you, you know, serve so much that then you're not serving yourself. I mean, that creates a deficiency, not necessarily maybe a nutritional deficiency directly, but an emotional deficiency in the sense, right? Right, right, right. You know, and then from the autoimmune connection, there is this potential molecular mimicry that can happen where if the body is attacking the virus and it knows that there's something there, if the virus has resurfaced and the immune system is attacking that if you already have an autoimmune disease, anything that you do to increase the immune system can then attack the other organ. So there's that connection as well. So I think that, you know, not to say that this is necessarily worse than other viruses, but I think any infection can do that. And, you know, with something like EBV, because it's always in your system, it's just going to have this way about it, um, you know, where it could do that over and over again. Now, I'm curious with some of the people in your community and some of the patients that you've worked with, do you have those that tend to reactivate over and over again? I mean, are there people that are just more prone to that that you're seeing? Yeah, especially at the beginning. Uh, people will complain that they, uh, they're they really uh, bedridden again and again and again. And it can happen within the menstrual cycles even, so within the month. So that's where really it's out of control. They don't have the tools and they're driven by anxiety and fear, and which makes it even worse. So yeah, we see that before people actually get the the kit, the tools, the processes, and, and start healing. Now, just so that everyone's on the same page, can you go over the markers that need to be tested so that people know if they've had it in the past, which most people, of course, has, but also if uh, how they would know if it reactivated? We did talk about that in length back in episode 43, but just to make sure everyone's on the same page, if you can summarize that, I think that would be really helpful. Yeah, so the most important one is early antigen IgG, EA IgG. Uh, that can resurface when you reactivate. And, you know, the virus can go on and off, on and off, on and off, really any time. So it just depends how bad the situation is, how many triggers reactivate it. So that's the, the key one that is missed in most panels. So even if you ask the doctor and the doctor asks the lab, sometimes the labs skip it. So that's the one that you have to insist on uh, requesting, making sure that doctors remember that this is often missed. The other ones, you know, VCA, IgG, and EB, ENA, IgG, these will remain elevated probably for your life. Uh, but it's a matter of where they fluctuate. Are they going upwards or are they going downwards? Uh, so they will probably never normalize and you can have an amazing life with it. In fact, this is what happened to me. You don't know, Ina, but I actually tested because um, I suspected. <laughs> and I, mm. yep, yep. It's a, quite an interesting story. It's more recent. What happened? If you don't mind me asking. <laughs> okay, I'll tell you. BCA IgM is the one that is most confusing to medical community because 
in the common knowledge medically, IgM is now IgG is uh, old exposure. And uh, with EBD, IgM, it doesn't work this way. IgM, VCA IgM doesn't really flare up when you continue reactivating. If you look at literature, and I, I can see in my clinical practice as well uh, from experience that VCA IgM typically flares up when you have initial infection, and sometimes it keeps flaring up. And in medical literature, they say there there's a couple of reasons it may happen. Uh, but, you know, in our community, it's very seldom that we see somebody who is flaring up first time in their life. Of course, right, because that would be, they would be very young. You probably wouldn't be seeing them. Yeah, typically it's, a, you know, it's years of in the making. Uh, but I would say, I always say that you have to measure your labs in the context of your reference points, your timeline, your medical history, what happened to you. And so we do have a quiz that anybody can take uh, online. It's free. I'll post the link to that. Thank you. Yeah, it's it's really, it's going to be helpful because um, there's a couple of pages of questions and you say yes or no, yes or no. And each page is a different kind of clusters. So there's typical symptoms, there's uh, atypical symptoms, there there are typical medical conditions, atypical medical conditions, there are autoimmune conditions, there are types of cancer, you know. And so you can, and sometimes people don't realize, you know, I don't have any of this, but, oh, I have Hashimoto's. <laughs> and so this really is an eye-opener because people start thinking, well, what happened in my life? I had, you know, I had this juvenile rheumatoid arthritis when I was a kid and nobody could understand it and diagnose that I was miserable. I lost six months of school. And suddenly it was like, oh, I see the patterns. It's been coming up here and there, but, you know, just nobody saw the connections. So I think when I train practitioners and doctors, I always provide that quiz. And I say, you know, you have to talk to your patients. You know, there's a lab, but let's look at the story. Does it make sense that this can be the chronic EBV? Right. So basically, if someone scores high enough on this quiz, it means that it could be. And so even if their labs aren't showing activation, there still could be something. Is that what you're saying? Yes, because uh, depending where you test, the early antigen may stabilize. Right. You know, maybe you got some rest, maybe you got some supplements, maybe you got some sleep. And maybe, you know, you decided not to pursue something very stressful and so then the lysing stops, the early antigen uh, normalizes. And so then you would say maybe those VCA IgG and EB and A IgG are high, but the rest is okay. And you think, well, it's only in the past. You don't have EBD. But EBD can go up and down with the early antigen, with reactivation anytime, tomorrow, in five hours. You know, it's just uh, you can't keep up, uh, keep up with the testing. But you can keep up with your symptoms once you figure out what your typical reactivation symptom is. And people typically know what it is. Yeah, yeah. I find with some of the people that I work with who we've seen early antigen, and sometimes it goes up and down. Sometimes it just stays up because they're either continuously reactivating or, you know, something else is going on. And they'll tell me like, you know, I get this fatigue, but it's a different type of fatigue. It's like this 
special fatigue. Like that's how they describe it. Different, exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. But that's important because, and I think for everyone listening, what's important to remember is that this early antigen marker, that's what shows that the EBV is reactivated. But typically this marker is short-lived, just a couple of weeks. So if you happen to test a few weeks later and it's negative, the doctor's probably going to say, oh, it's nothing. And as you know, Dr. Kasha is saying, the IgM for EBV, that IgM, which normally is considered the current infection for everything else, like whether we look at COVID or any other viruses, IgM normally is current. What's interesting in EBV, like Dr. Kynes is saying, is that it's not always positive after initial infection. And that's I just think that's so important to know because that's not talked about nearly enough. Yeah, exactly. You got it. Now, I wanted to ask you with the early antigen marker, it is something that's supposed to go down eventually. There are some people, and I've seen this a lot recently, where their early antigen stays up. Now, of course, I don't necessarily test them every few weeks. You know, we usually test it and then we test it again in about six months and then again in about a year. But I've seen it with a, a good amount of people where their early antigen is up and then it just stays up six months later. It's just as high another six months after that, you know, and it may fluctuate a little, say it might be at a hundred and then we'll see it at 105 or maybe 95. So it may go up and down a little, but it's still in that elevated range. And I'm curious your thoughts on that. There's some studies showing that healthy people that don't have problems with EBV actually can test positive for early antigen for years. That's one group. And uh, we don't know why necessarily, uh, but that would be healthy people that are not seeking any help because they're struggling. And then if you tested three times a year, you want to screen the person. And um, when do they test? Do they test where they're feeling the best or they're feeling the worst? This is, you know, you, you want to ask them strategic. It's okay. Let's test when, you, when you're super great. And because then you may find out, oh, our early antigen has normalized. But let's test when you're super stressed out. With early antigen with EBV, because it can fluctuate, fluctuate so fast, it can turn on and off so fast. You can turn it off within 48 hours, 24 hours. You can turn it on immediately. We're, we're not saying that these individuals have constantly elevated early antigens. We can't say that. Okay, got you. So it's just that in that day and time it is, but potentially two days later it may not be. It may not. Yeah, yeah. And, and it makes sense too, like you were saying, that because obviously of stress and even just hormonal fluctuations with our monthly cycle, that can offset it. So depending on when um, they test, yeah. Your EBV is, yeah, exactly. Now, have you ever seen it where someone has done the EBV protocol and then they're actually feeling a lot better and they test and they still are positive for the early antigen? Because I've seen it that a few times as well. Like they're definitely feeling better. I've seen it one time, maybe, maybe two times. And, you know, like I said, I had my own story recently and was very consistent, like, like it should be. <laughs> so uh, typically it will, it will normalize. It should when you're doing the right thing. So let's talk a little bit about protocols. And I know there's so many different protocols and different practitioners use different ones. I know you have some of your own, but what would you say are the things that you find are the most important and kind of like the heavy hitters, especially when someone is really symptomatic and they test and they catch that early antigen up. So they know the virus is lysing. There's, you know, there's stuff happening. It's reactivated for sure. You mean the emergency kit? Like you have to step on it immediately? 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's very particular and very well-researched supplements. And these are basically multitasking antioxidants that have a great track record in research for their anti-EBV qualities. And so these would be selenium, NAC, lysine, licorice, uh, and simple things, vitamin C, zinc, and uh, what else am I missing? Vitamin E. And of course, vitamin D, that goes without saying. So, you know, if you're strategic enough, you can hit the virus and that can stabilize you. And uh, it's pretty fast. It really is pretty fast. So when we talk to people, like you mentioned, autoimmunity, you can get another autoimmune condition and so on and so forth. That can bring up a lot of anxiety and fears about somebody's health. But the message here is you actually can zip it. <laughs> you, can, you can actually turn it off very quickly if you actually are strategic with your, your core supplements. That's just there's no way for the virus to, to go. However, then you have to stabilize with the bigger picture. There's a lot of layers around the environment, you know, emotional, as we said, the diet, all that. We do have, yeah, but we do have this emergency system, so you can jump in and start turning it down. It works pretty fast. It, it does. I've used that myself. I've used it with a lot of different people, and you know, I'd say like ninety, like higher than ninety percent success rate with that, and how people feel better. But it's also very important, like you said, we don't just do this for three weeks and say, okay, you know, that's it. Go back to drinking alcohol and being stressed and eating sugar and all of that. Like it's all about keeping the body in a good state. So there's the bigger picture, absolutely. I'm really excited about your results. It just makes makes my day it's so awesome. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, it really, really works. Now, I'm curious with this emergency protocol, do you find that it's specific to EBV or is it something that could be helpful for other viruses? I mean, even just say like the common cold. Yeah, it's actually, I would imagine it's actually one of the best antiviral protocols <laughs> because it's... Um, it, I think, you know, I don't want to make claims, but I think from what I see in the anecdotal stories and feedback that I hear from our community, it can even stabilize people possibly with COVID or I've had people that prevented COVID from their spouses and be, being in, high, in close proximity with the spouse and pumping the spouse with the same thing, you know, not contracting COVID and then the spouse was up on their feet, you know, within two days or so. It, you know, it's it's uh, these are very well studied anti uh, antiviral. What can I say? So yeah, no, I definitely agree with you. And one of the things that I think you know, if we can even say such a thing, but like the positive that came out of COVID um, is all of the research on the antiviral stuff. Not to say that we haven't had this information before, but I think there was just such a push to do more, especially from um, even the functional medicine community. So a lot of the big things, for example, like the zinc and quercetin combo, I mean, it's certainly not new, but it's just has become so much more available, you know, and, and so many more people are talking about it. And it's this concept of the quercetin basically helping zinc to get into the cell, which is where the virus is. So the zinc can actually deactivate the virus because if the zinc is outside the cell, which is where most of the zinc hangs out, it's helpful, but it's not as helpful as it gets into the zinc. And quercetin is that 
thing that essentially, I mean, there's a few different things like that, but quercetin is one of those ionophores that gets it in. You know, I can imagine that that probably could be helpful for EBV as well, even as, a, as an extra addition. And, and plus quercetin is an um, antioxidant on top of that. Yeah, I, I bet quercetin would be great. I actually uh, used mega doses of quercetin therapeutically to manage my mold allergies. <laughs> Because it's safe at high doses, you know. It is. Yeah. The only thing is in pregnancy, you would just want to be careful because over 400 milligrams, there are some studies showing that there can be potential kidney issues. But other than that, I mean, people take up to 1,500 milligrams, especially in specific times when they're trying to fight something. So yeah, great for allergies, but also great for this antiviral effect. Now, I'm curious with everything that we've been through with COVID over the last two, you know, two and a half years, have you seen more EBV flare-ups? You know, sometimes I know with one virus, if there is another virus that comes into the system, it could potentially, the body's already more vulnerable, right, from that physical stress. You know, could EBV flare more due to that? And also, have you seen any connections with the people that suffer from long COVID, which is those longer-term symptoms, and they don't recover the same way? And is there any EBV link there? Yeah, there's tons of links actually coming up. This, these are great questions. University started to study uh, EBV uh, along with COVID. So, there's quite a number of studies that make that link. And one of the things that we've seen, there was one study showing that 73% of the long-haul COVID cases were actually uh, reactivated EBV cases. And they, they, they actually tested them correctly. This was early antigen, if I remember. You know, I listen to our community, and so I hear a lot of anecdotal stories. So anecdotally, um, I see people with chronic EBV being really impacted, uh, often being really impacted by vaccination for COVID. So uh, the typical reaction is like some of the worst EBV reactivation, and some of it lasts for a long period of time. Mm. So you're saying, I just want to make sure I understand, you're saying that the people that have had long COVID after contracting COVID, they found that there can be an actual EBV reactivation and that's what's giving the symptoms. And then additionally, people who have chronic EBV tend to have worse reactions from the COVID shot than others. Yeah, sorry, I jumped from one to the other. Yeah, so basically the question is from the first study is the long COVID, is it COVID at all? Or is it just EBV? Is it, it does it turn into EBV because it's such an opportunist and transactivations are common? So is that an opportunity for the virus to come back if somebody has had chronic EBV to begin with? You know, so our community has been very aware of of COVID and the connection. So I think a lot in our community have seen that in their lives. So they wouldn't be surprised. And then the other layer is, you know, uh, there's been a big fear, especially when the vaccination was so big issue. I had so many people in our community really worried, uh, forced into vaccination for their job, for example, but they were really worried because they already had chronic EBV. And we heard story after story that that vaccination was a tipping point to really throw them into uh, a worse abyss of EBV and sometimes incapacitating a person. 
So that's, you know, that's a real risk. And it was a difficult conversation to have. You know, I had somebody in Austria, and Austria at that point uh, mandated vaccination for everyone. And so it was a it was difficult conversations with the doctor and trying to figure out how to minimize the potential uh, damage and uh, health problems. And so we had to set these up post-vaccination, you know, recovery, how to support the body. There's definitely common transactivation in medical literature between different species of uh, uh, viruses of bacterial infections. Uh, if you've had EBV, um, other species can reactivate or you can reactivate EBV with other other uh, pathogens. So, Is it the case of uh, molecular mimicry with those or is it more that the body is overwhelmed trying to fight one thing and so the immune system sort of temporarily goes down because it's focused on this one thing that it doesn't notice others? It's probably all of it. In, in literature, they have a particular process, physiological process that they have tracked that in, involves signaling of the B cells, you know, that have already been altered. So there is a particular physiological process, and I mention it in the book. I, I actually don't remember the details now, <laughs> so I can't tell you. But, but yeah, it's, it's a transactivation. That's what they call it. But I'm sure you're right as well. I'm sure there are different uh, different ways, not just that one that is documented. Right, right. I mean, there's probably so many that we don't know about. Um, but I think in general, I mean, it also is common, and this is something that we hear a lot recently, where people get a vaccination for whatever it may be, right? And then they get sick a week later. And it's like, well, they just got a vaccine. Why did they get sick, right? Well, if your body is so busy creating antibodies to that, that it kind of puts your immune system almost on like a hold. So that can happen as well. Yes. Opening in the immune system is a door to reactivation. And that's why that's a very good point. That's why oftentimes when people get people with EBV get on steroids, which turns off your immune system this can backfire and they can actually go into a full reactivation of EBV. doesn't always happen, but sometimes it happens. And it's been documented in the medical literature. So in medical literature, it's not recommended that a person with chronic activated EBV take corticosteroids. And yeah, I mean, and with steroids, I mean, they're used for so many different things. I mean, even just COVID, right? That's one of the treatments these days. And then on top of that, you know, obviously for certain autoimmune conditions and so many people that have autoimmunity also have EBV. So that's a really important thing for people to keep in mind. So for those in your community, and I know you've helped so many different people, give us a little bit of hope because I know that EBV, especially chronic EBV, it, it's hard, right? It's tough. I mean, people can really have all types of symptoms, obviously fatigue, but there's so many other things, the brain fog and the joint pain. And I mean, it's literally across the board. So I'd love to hear maybe if you have a case study or just someone recently that has gotten better, um, you know, because of course, you know, and this is something I work with so many of my clients about too, like there is so much that we can do, but I think sometimes when people are in it, right, they're in the middle of it and they just feel so stuck and feel so hopeless. And I want people to know that there is so much they can do and they can feel better, but I'd love to hear some of your stories about it. We live by those stories. So yesterday we have a new member success uh, call. I have, a, I have a student who lives in England, but she's from Europe. She had to make a trip back to Europe to visit her family. And she was really terrified because of her history of how much sicker she would get. 
her brain fog was just no matter what she did it was just awful uh, among other things you know she was a health coach and she was on a keto diet she was very committed to her health she took a leap of faith with us and started uh, yesterday she was just calling us from europe saying the trip was amazing her brain fog is already shifting uh she started i would say three weeks ago just for her trip so you know i made sure that we jumped on and ironed out the international travel we have a whole you know whole, we have a whole masterclass series that i've recently done you don't know about it but we talk about labs we talk about traveling and so on so forth so it was wonderful to see her smile and uh, the spirit was high the brain was on you know still she's still just starting and did she start on the emergency protocol or was she starting more with diet? We always start on that. We always, this is our protocol. The protocol starts with the emergency protocol and then we go, for, yeah, absolutely. Because I need people to start feeling better right away. And then another woman on the call yesterday is a mom, mom of a 20 year old uh, a young woman who is in college. She put her on uh, the starter protocol as well. And she says, I am so delighted. My, it's also a new a new student. Um, I just talked to my daughter on the phone, and she says, Mom, I actually feel normal. It's like, oh, my gosh. So, and, you know, I can tell you my story because it is so, so such an eye-opener, and that will probably give people the most hope. Fall last year, I decided to test my EBV first time in my life. I didn't have a need for it, but I started to see some symptoms and because we kept moving from house to house because of mold, and I even ended up in ER because of my mold allergies, then I decided, you know what, I think I think that's what's happening. It's starting to reactivate. And sure enough, my early antigen was slightly elevated. Again, I did the procedure, and within a very short period of time, I normalized. Everything was fine. We retested. It was fine. And then when we move here, you know, this is the fourth house in a row, 15 months, 15 months, okay, nine months, 11 months, <laughs> keep moving. Um, we moved into this house in December uh, with a um, mold inspector giving us clean bill of health. So we bought this house and moved in. I finally thought I would recover. I didn't. We actually found mold in the attic that he didn't see because he didn't go there. <laughs> that cost us a couple of thousands of dollars again, you know, and at the same time, when I moved into my new office in the new house, uh, there was a compounding effect uh, and that what reactivated my EBV at that time in a different way. So out of the blue, I started to have vertigo first time in my life. I was walking down the stairs like, ooh, my head is spinning. And so what I tracked it down to immediately was, yep, I know exactly what happened. I have some mold here still. Uh, at the same time, there is a, a smart meter on the house on an outside uh, wall, and I was waiting for that to be removed. But my office uh, wall where the router was was the same wall. The router is in my office against that wall. Uh, the the drop the smart meter is on the same wall outside downstairs below me, 
And I had a peak of the view of beautiful um, water and a bridge in the back in that in that particular corner of the room against that wall. So I wasn't thinking, of course, because I have my smart meter box in Faraday box. I have my uh, router box in Faraday box. Of course, the boxes, the box for the uh, smart meter only protects you outside. It still leaks inside and upward. I wasn't thinking about that. So I sat, I, I located my big big Mac computer, which has a lot of radiation and all that right in that spot. So I had the radiation from below. I had the router, I had the computer. And this is when within like 24 hours, I started to have vertigo. And so I didn't need to test because I knew exactly what was going on. So two things that I did is the EBV protocol and removing removing myself from that corner and moving to the other corner and eight hours later I was fine. Wow, that's amazing. Because the radiation, right, and the electromagnetic frequencies, those things could be triggers as well. They are triggers. Plus I still had uh mold in the system. So I still, you know, the when you have mold and you have Wi-Fi technology, the mold becomes more aggressive and produces many more mycotoxins. So you know the house was not free of mold. So yeah, so you had the compounding effect uh, with my recent history. Also, my ears started to hurt a little bit. That's a different story. I was born in a way where they had to pull me out and damage a little bit of my my ear. And so my ear always starts hurting when I have a reactivation. And I, I, I figured it out over the years, even before I knew it was EBV. So that started as well, because you can have vestibular nerve um, damage from the from the virus it can it can live there and then you you can have the balance issues exactly from that and so on and so forth so so it's a it's like an opportunist i had i had a list of to check off if i didn't know what i know there would be neurologists there would be scary tests there would be hundreds and hundreds of dollars in costs medical costs trying to figure it out you would never really address the simple fact and the fact that you can turn it off really fast. So I, I need everyone to hear that. It, this is a simple and and this is exactly what Dr. Flavin showed. You know, she had a case of 50 boys with enlarged spleens due to acute EBV infection. You know, spleens can burst at any time. That was dangerous. They were hospitalized. And so she was able to turn them around within 24, 48 hours, put it in a study, uh, published it in 2006, and I don't think anybody knew about this study until I brought it up to attention. I was so lucky I found it because her protocol, we didn't know of each other, but her protocol was pretty much what I was doing. So her protocol was like your emergency protocol, you're saying? The emergency, yeah, because the kids respond really fast. And this was, that's perfect for emergency. And, you know, the, the, the saddest thing is she said she approached so many children's hospitals with this and not a single one was interested. Not as interested. This is so sad. So anyway, I want people to hear it. This is absolutely doable, and you don't have to be a victim. You don't have to stew in this virus. You know, we live, we cohabit with it, or we can turn it down, turn it off, without killing it necessarily, because we can't. You know, killing causes a lot of damage. It's too aggressive, and it's not sustainable. We can't live in a bubble, but we have so many tools and it's really wonderful to see people coming to life and you understand yourself better this way. I turned it off within 
either 24 or 48 hours. I don't remember. Now, when you say that you can't kill it, can you elaborate a little bit more on that? Is it because it's sort of like ingrained in your DNA or is it because the things that you would use to kill it are too harsh and then it would come back anyway and it's not worth the harsh treatments? It's kind of both ways, but I would I would lean towards the latter because you can't live in a bubble. You'll kiss somebody, you'll, you know, you'll have blood transfusion, you'll contract it again, you'll share a glass or spoon with someone People have spouses, so you you can get reinfected, but uh, it doesn't mean anything if you are well, you know, if you take care of yourself, uh, if you know what to do. So when you, you know, the, there are certain things that kill the virus, definitely, like monolaurin or loracidin can kill the virus. And I stay away from that unless I need to use it for co-infections like Candida or H. pylori. because like uh, monolaurin will will uh, puncture the envelope, uh, damaging the virus. But what you end up is is a lot of toxic dead debris, and people with chronic EBV are so compromised already, and oftentimes they don't have very good detoxification uh, capacities. And even if you are constipated, you're just gonna start being so toxic, and it's just uh, it backfires. Your brain will get some of this toxicity. It's just not worth it because, okay, you killed some of them. It's not possible to kill all of it. It's going to be here and there. It's hiding in your B cells or T cells. Um, if you're just you're just killing killing uh, parts of you without providing any support. So how is that sustainable and how is it building you up? I like to talk about building a brick house. It's really invincible and really sturdy. Uh, you know, with the right plumbing, with uh, solidly installed windows. <laughs> and so then you are independent and empowered. Uh, you have, you know, you have all the tools. Killing it makes you very vulnerable because it will come back. I mean, you still, ha- you can't kill it off. Yeah. Well, and like you said, you kiss someone, you share a spoon, you share a cup, right? Everyone has it here and there. So it's just going to come back and you certainly can't rely on killing it all the time, especially when you have to deal with all of those potential detox symptoms, which you know anyone who has chronic health issues is going to be more prone to anyway. So that makes complete sense. Oh, that That's so helpful to hear. When I think the biggest thing is, you know, what you say that there is so much that we could do, we don't have to kill it. We don't have to live with it either though, right? We have the emergency protocol. We have all of our lifestyle factors and then all of our stress management approaches because that's, as you mentioned in the beginning of this, it's just, it's key. Um, you know, so if we have a positive outlook, we eat well, we take care of ourselves and then we have these emergency nutrients together, we can really achieve a lot. And that's really, really great to hear. So thank you for that. Oh, you're welcome. Dr. Kasha, for those that want to connect with you, uh, where can they find you and how can they get in touch? The easiest way is to go to our EBV website, which is basically ebvhelp.com. We try to yeah keep it current, any classes we have. Um, we're starting a free community Facebook group, a private one, when I will have three weekly mini trainings. That's great. Well, we will post the website in the show notes so people can check it out. And I know that you constantly post different articles and blogs on there and you do such a good job at keeping everything current. And we appreciate that so much. 
Thank you so much for all of this information. Thank you for being here again. And I feel like every time we talk, there's always new things that I learn and I know new things that my listeners are going to learn and walk away with. And, you know, thank you for doing all the work that you do. And I really appreciate you being here. It's so wonderful that you're using this information to in your, in your community and that it's helping. I just, I'm just so happy to hear that. So yeah, I'll come anytime you need me. <laughs> As you can see, while EBV can plague so many, and the symptoms can really be quite severe in some cases, there is so much that we can do. In Joanna's case, early antigen was a marker that wasn't tested in her original blood work that she ran with her doctor. And even though her IgM, which is the current infection, was negative, from everything else that we've seen, We knew that something could be going on, and just because the IgM is negative doesn't always mean that there's not a reactivation of EBV. When we tested again, and we ran and asked for the early antigen, we saw that it was, in fact, elevated. And so what I did with Joanna is first... I used a Dr. Kind's emergency protocol with a few additions that we've gained insights about through the whole COVID pandemic, because again, that's also a virus and there's a lot of antiviral things that we've learned from that. So I put Joanna on N-acetylcysteine, two capsules per day. I used a Designs for Health brand. I also put her on zinc and I used the reacted zinc from orthomolecular. It's a tiny little capsule, so it's really easy to swallow. And as long as you take it with food, it's very gentle to the stomach. And I had her do two of those per day. We also used the quercetin and nettles from Designs for Health at four per day. Selenium, 200 milligrams, two per day. I used the Pure Encapsulations brand. And then Alimax, which is a very potent extract from garlic called Allicin, and it's stabilized. So it works really well. And the great thing about it is that it doesn't make you really smell like garlic. I love the supplement. And we use six per day of that. And lastly, I put her on Lysine. I used a Designs for Health brand at three capsules per day. Now, I'm also going to link all of these in the show notes for you so that you can see all of the products and the brands and the dosages, just in case it's something that you may be interested in trying. In addition to this, we also worked on cleaning up her diet and lifestyle and then use some coaching principles. For Joanna, we dug a bit deeper into what she really wanted for herself, really being true to herself and what it meant for her to be authentic. In addition to all the biochemical things, it's so important to look at everything because everything in the body is related. And we worked on helping to create a life that she really wanted for herself. And to do that, she needed to make a decision. And that decision was that she wanted to stop suffering. As simple as this may seem, of course, it's not always obvious. And it wasn't always obvious for her until we really dug in. And once we did, this really came to the surface. And after seeing this, she was very easily able to make that decision. Between all of the supplements, the diet changes, and the mindset support, Joanna made amazing progress. Within just four weeks, she felt an improvement in her energy, mental clarity, and just overall joy. She was able to do so much more and really started to enjoy her day-to-day. In eight weeks, she was feeling back to herself. And in fact, she said even better than the self that she remembered. She was so thrilled 
And of course, so was I. If you or someone you know is suffering from these symptoms and think it may be EBV, please just remember there is so much that you can do. If there's someone you know that's dealing with the symptoms, please share this episode with them. And I'm going to link everything we talked about in the show notes, the supplements. I also have a link to Dr. Kasha's program that you may be interested in because there's so much that you can do. And I just want you to remember that the answers are out there and there is hope. I'm Ina Toppler. Thank you so much for listening. And I will see you next time on Health Mystery Solved. All information, content, and material on this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to serve as a substitute for the consultation, diagnosis, and or medical treatment of a qualified physician or healthcare provider.